5. And let's invite the Lord to help us understand his word today. Our gracious Father, once again we come before your presence in the mighty name of Jesus to ask for your help to understand and appropriate the word of truth into our lives. Guide our thinking. Guide our understanding. And prompt within us a response from our heart of obedience whatever that obedience is to look like in our individual lives. Use your word to renew our minds and transform our lives. We ask this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. In World War II, a Amer an American uh, pilot was shot down over the country of France. And uh, he... He parachuted down into the country in the underground uh, of, of the French. They found him, and they tried to uh, get him to the border to safety before he was caught. And as they were on their way to the border, they stopped at a cafe to eat. And after cutting up his food, he picked up his fork with his right hand and began to eat. And because of that, they recognized him as an American. And the Germans caught him, and he spent the rest of the war in a prison camp. One characteristic that was so common for him identified him as an American. Question for you. If somebody were to watch your life, not listen to what you say, but watch your life over a period of time, would they identify you as a follower of Jesus? Is there something about your life that they could say, yes, he is different, she is different from all the other people I know that are in this world. There's something about him or her that identifies them as a follower of Jesus. In Galatians 5, the Apostle Paul is contrasting the deeds of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. Those things which characterize a person who operates in the flesh. And of course this is a representative list, but there are 15 qualities or characteristics mentioned there that are the kinds of things that come out of a life that is operating in the flesh. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, and so on and so forth. These are the kinds of things that people see in a life of a person who is operating in the flesh. To one degree or another. But the fruit of the Spirit. These are the things that characterize a person who is walking under the direct 
influence and control of the Holy Spirit. Things that come out of our life that people can see. Two weeks ago, we looked at that first list, the deeds of the flesh. Today, we want to look at the fruit of the Spirit. Now, before I read this, I want you to, to think for a moment with me. Why does the Apostle Paul use two different words for these lists? Why doesn't he say the deeds of the flesh and the deeds of the Spirit? Or the fruit of the flesh, the fruit of the Spirit. There's a reason why he uses different words. A machine can, can do work in a factory, right? It can produce a product, but it cannot produce fruit. Because fruit comes out of life. A tree that is dead cannot produce fruit. It can stand there for years until a strong wind blows it over. It has to have life flowing through it. As it draws nourishment from the water and through the roots, then that water then through the tree produces fruit. That life comes out of it. For us, it is the life of the Holy Spirit inside of us that produces fruit. It's not about working harder. It's not about trying harder. It's about yielding to the Holy Spirit so this fruit can be evident. The other thing that is different in these two is that the word deeds is plural. These are simply a list of the kinds of things. And, and maybe in one person's life, it's, it's a form of immorality. For another, it's a form of uh, idolatry of some kind or, or uh, outbursts of anger. But it's, it's not all of them. It's just maybe one or two or a few of them in differing ways. But the word fruit here is in the singular indicating that this is a unity, that all of these things are produced together by the Holy Spirit in the life of a person who is yielded to him. Let me read the passage, starting with verse 19, so we get, again, the full passage. Now, deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, Sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousies, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Again, remember, we looked at that. This is habitual practice. This is the character of a person's life. This is the things that continue on, not, not something that... that happens once in a while that a person struggles with here and there. This is the habitual practice because it characterizes an unbeliever. But he says, verse 2022, but in contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. So you have this contrast, these lists. And they're given to us so that we can evaluate ourselves to see 
What is coming out of my life? What is the evidence? As a check in our lives. Basically what Paul is saying is there's two, there are two roads you can walk, two paths that you can walk. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you can operate in the flesh, or even though Christ has delivered you from that, you can still choose to walk in the flesh. And when we choose to do that, there's a list of things that will become evident. Or we can choose to yield our life to the Holy Spirit and let His life flow through us and bear these evidences which are the fruit of the Spirit. And so we looked at the pathway of the flesh to today, the pathway of the Spirit, in the Spirit, and first the fruit of the Spirit. Nine characteristics given here. Love. Love is the first one. Probably because it's the primary that many of the rest of these things are evidence of a love. This is not just any love. This is agape love, right? God's love. Basically, it is self-sacrificing love for other people, regardless of the circumstances or situation. Regardless of what the other person does, says, lives their life, it is self-sacrificing love that gives to the other person. Somebody defined it this way, giving a person what they need the most when they deserve it the least. And when we get married, this is the commitment we make to one another. I will, I commit to love you with this agape love. Because you know, and if you don't know, you should know when you go into a marriage that your spouse is not going to be perfect. They're going to say things and do things that could anger you, that could cause you to feel upset, that could disappoint you. But you're making a commitment to love them self-sacrificially and to forgive them when they mess up and to reconcile that relationship. That's a commitment that we can't keep in our own strength. We need God, life in us to produce that kind of love. But that's what the fruit of the Spirit is. We can be nice to someone who's nice to us. Jesus said even unbelievers can do that. But, when, but to love somebody who is unlovely, Somebody that is not doing what they should be doing, that's the kind of love that is produced by the Spirit of God in us. Secondly, joy. Joy is internal, deep-seated gladness, regardless of the circumstances. It's not, it's not happiness on the outside. It's not, hey, let's praise the Lord no matter what's going on. It's just this fake oftentimes um, just stirring up uh, a facade. No, this is an internal, deep-seated gladness, joy within the heart, no matter what is going on outside of you. MacArthur defines it this way, the deep-down sense of well-being that abides in the heart of a person who knows all is well between them and God. 
right? This, is, this joy is based in the relationship we have with God. We know that all is well with Him. Therefore, no matter what's going on on the outside, I can experience joy, not a fake happiness. You can have joy and still be living in sad circumstances. You can still grieve the loss of a loved one and still maintain a joy inside. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Peace, thirdly. Peace is the tranquility of mind and soul regardless of the circumstances. The ability to be at peace within when the storm is raging without. A sense of security in the face of adversity. That peace. Again, this is the product, the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit at work in us. And when the world sees that, when we're going through adversity, when there is trouble, when chaos abounds, and they see this in us, they say, oh, there's something about that person. There's something different. How in the world can you keep a, a joy and a peace and continue to love other people when they treat you that way, when this is going on, when life is falling apart around you. How can you do that? I can't. <laughs> but it's God in me. Right? It's the Holy Spirit at work in us. Fourthly, patience. There are, there are a couple different Greek words that are translated patient or, or endurance or or that kind of stuff. One focuses upon situations, being patient and enduring life circumstances. The other is directed to people. This one is the one directed to people. It's enduring with others, even under provocation. When somebody is provoking you, stirring, trying to stir you up to maintain patience. Endurance. When Jesus was hanging on the cross and they were hurling insults at him, he knew he could have called for the angels. He could have simply asked the Father to just take them out. If he, you know, he didn't have to get off the cross, but just, just get rid of them. These annoying people. This, you know, whatever. He could have done any of that at any time. Jesus continued to endure. This is, this is the life of God that, that produces this. Endurance. Dealing with hostility without retaliation. <laughs> That's not natural. That's not what we do when we operate in the flesh. We operate in the flesh... We feel justified to retaliate because that person deserves it. And then, quite frankly, they do deserve it. But it's the Holy Spirit that produces an endurance in the face of that. Understand, I'm not, I'm not saying this to say, hey man, if you're not doing this, try harder. <laughs> I'm saying we need to look at our life and say, what is the evidence of my life? Because if these things are not coming out of my life, what do I need to do with that? Try harder? No. I need to 
give it to the Lord. I need to ask the Lord to take control of my life. I need to invite him to be in charge. The next one is kindness, which is grace and benevolence in action. Somebody said it is treating others as God has treated you. Think about that. Can you imagine if we all treated each other the way God treats us? That doesn't, through Christ, God doesn't hold us accountable for our sins. He's cast them as far as the east is from the west. His compassion on us. He extends grace. Oh, we're... We're like Jonah. We, we, we want to accept God's grace and forgiveness for us, but we want his justice and wrath for, for those who, who treat us improperly. Right? That's how we are in our flesh. That's how we operate. But when the Holy Spirit's in charge, he produces a kindness within us because it is him working in us, not us. It's his working the life of Jesus, if you will, in our lives and producing that kind of thing. This is what God does. This is how God treats us because of Christ. Next one is goodness. Generosity toward others even when they don't deserve it. Moral and spiritual excellence that is known by its Sweetness and act of kindness, as one person put it. Generosity, being good to people when they don't deserve it. <laughs> Again, anybody in their flesh can be kind, good, patient when the circumstances are, are favorable. It's when they're not. That's when the, the fruit is is evident. So why is it that when we come to Christ, it seems like life gets harder? <laughs> because God is working. God is now producing through His Spirit in your life, and He's making evident this fruit that is now evident because of adversity and difficulty. Next one, faithfulness which is a trustworthiness, a dependability, a loyalty, reliability, these kinds of things. Faithful. These are the, these are the characteristics that Jesus displayed when he walked on earth. Because this is the life of God And this is, and for us to, again, the Holy Spirit, the life of God inside of us producing this. Faithfulness. Next, gentleness. This word gentleness means strength that's under control. One person said this way, it is the right use of power. Always angry at the right time, never angry at the wrong time. Often we think of gentleness, some translations use the word meekness. We think of that as somebody who just never 
Never shows any anything, right? They just they just kind of sit back and do nothing, passive almost. That's not what this word means. That's not how Jesus lived. Jesus confronted evil. When Jesus saw that what the religious leaders were doing in the in the outer court of the of the temple, they were distracting the Gentiles from being able to worship God. The God-fearing Gentiles could only go into the court of the Gentiles on the outer court. That's the only place they could go to, to worship Yahweh at that time. And the Pharisees and the, and, and the religious leaders, they had set up this, basically a marketplace in the outer court where they were cheating people, telling people when they brought their animal to, to, the, uh, to sacrifice, saying, oh, that animal's not good enough, it has some blemishes. Uh, we'll take it off your hands and we'll sell you this one that's really good. And they'll take that one that was supposedly blemished and they'll take it behind the curtain and sell it to the next guy. This is the kind of corruption that was going on. Jesus saw this, and it became, he became angry. He began turning over tables and pushing them out. He said, this is not the way it's supposed to be. My house is called what? A house of prayer, and you've turned it in to a marketplace, a den of, for evil. Strength under control, being angry at the right time. But when they were beating him and spitting upon him and lashing him when he was about to be crucified and all the abuse the man put on him, not once did he retaliate. Strength under control. Under the control of the Holy Spirit. You know, we, don't, we don't think in terms of, of, of being angry at the right times, typically, do we? And we have to be careful because it's easy for the flesh to get into that. But when's the last time you and I were genuinely angry in the face of evil? Lastly, self-control, which is mastery over self, particularly relating to fleshly desires. It's the quality that gives us victory over fleshly desires, which therefore closely relates to chastity both in mind and in conduct. Again, it's not, it's not me mustering up enough control. It's the Holy Spirit producing that in me. This is the life of Christ lived out through our life. We, we, we can't do it in our own. We can't make this happen. It is the life of God through His Spirit, at work in us. That's why He calls it fruit. It's produced by that life. And He says, against such things, there is no law. You look at the first list and you say, man, there should be a law against every one of those things. And in our society, we do it at just one level or another. Although we keep redefining what immorality is and, and changing our all laws that way, but there is, there is need for law against the deeds of the flesh. There is no need for a law against 
the fruit of the Spirit. Why? Because these are the things that build people up. But it also, and you go back to earlier verses, it is the fulfillment of God's law when we live this way. So again, in Paul's argument throughout the book of Galatians, his whole thing is you don't need to live by the law. Why? Because Christ has fulfilled that. And when we live under the direction and the, the um, control of the Holy Spirit, we will live out the life God intended. We don't need the law, the external things, because we will be fulfilling the law in our life. And then we move from the fruit of the Spirit to the call to walk by the Spirit. And notice, again, the contrast. When he said the deeds of the flesh, and he gets to the end, he says, and those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You would expect at the end of this list, he would say, and those who practice such things shall inherit the kingdom of God, right? He doesn't. He says, now those who belong to Christ Jesus. See, we, we belong to him. It's not about practicing these things. It's about being in relationship with Christ. And we'll talk in terms of our position in Christ and our practice through Christ. What is our position? Our position is that we belong to Christ. We have been crucified with Christ and buried with Christ and then made alive with Christ and raised with Christ and seated with Christ in the heavenly places according to Ephesians 2. That's our position. We're already there. It's a done deal if we're in Christ through faith. We are new creatures. The old has passed, the new has come. This is our position. Christ did all the work on our behalf. He took our sins upon himself, and he paid the price our sins deserved by experiencing the wrath of the Father against sin so that he became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21. That's our position in Christ. We appropriate that by faith, right? By putting our faith in Jesus. And trusting that what he did on the cross was for us and enough, and God accepted it. His resurrection was proof that God accepted it. And it's through his resurrection life that he imparts life to us. Because at the moment we put our trust in Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit who now comes to live inside of us. And imagine this, the life of God living inside of us. Paul says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. God's life in us. We no longer have to live in the flesh. We can now live by the life of the Spirit. That's our position. So then what do we do with that? How do we live that out? What's our practice then? We're to put into practice who we are in position. Begin living in the freedom that Christ has secured for you and me. You are no longer viewed by God as a sinner, damned to hell. You are seen as a saint who is destined for glory. 
Because God sees you through Christ. And he says, now, my child, get up and walk in this freedom. How do we do that? By walking in the Spirit. Verse 25 is, is clear. If we live by the Spirit, in other words, if the life of the Spirit is what has given you life, and now you walk this life, you live out spiritually this life because the Spirit is alive in you, if, that, if your life is in the Spirit, then let's walk in the Spirit. It's interesting that back in verse 16 when he says, uh, I say walk in the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. That word walk there means to walk about. It means just, and you're going through life. Walk in the Spirit. And as you're going through life under the direction of the Spirit, you won't carry out the desire of the flesh. This is a different word. It means to go in an orderly fashion, in a row. And basically, I believe what he's saying is, order your life under the direction of the Holy Spirit. If, if you live by the Spirit, if that's where the life comes from, then walk, order your life based upon that, and let that life flow through you. And the more yielded we are to the Holy Spirit, the more evident the fruit will become in our life. Major Ian Thomas, in his book, The Indwelling Life of Christ, which I would highly recommend for you to read. It's a small book. Uh, that there's, um, I think, 50 chapters, but the chapters are only about a page and a half to three pages long. So, so they're, they're doable, uh, but it just talks about this whole concept of what does it look like for Christ's indwelling life to come in and flow through me. At the end of the book, he says this, the greatest single contribution that you can make to those around you, your friends and your family, is that they should recognize in you the man called Jesus. Do all that you do and say and are, even by the look on your face and the tone of your voice. <coughs> if Christ himself, as a person, actually lives inside of you, and me, in the power of his spirit and through his resurrection, then what should others legitimately and logically expect from us? What kind of activity should they anticipate? The answer is this. Nothing less than the behavior of Christ himself. If Christ is living in us, then he should flow through us and out of us, right? And this list is the character of Jesus. He goes on to say, in the first chapter of the book of Genesis, tells us that God made two great lights and set them in the firmament of the heavens. A greater light, the sun, to rule the day, and a lesser light than the moon to rule the night. The moon, however, is lightless of itself. It shines into the darkness only by virtue of its relationship to the greater light, the sun. It has nothing of itself to offer a world in the dark. It has only the sunlight and it receives and faithfully reflects, just as we have only the light of the Lord and nothing of our own to offer the world of darkness around us. Again, it's not about trying harder. How many times have we heard 
this in the church growing up. And I, how many times, I mean, I, I've spent a good part of my Christian life thinking, that I, mean, I just got to keep working harder. I just got to, I got to produce Christ's likeness in my own life. And so I got to keep working hard. And if I, if I can't get it authentically, man, I got to at least try to make it look like that's what's the case. It's not about trying harder or keeping some rules and regulations. It's about surrender to God and Christ's spirit inside of us so that he could then begin living his life through us. What did Jesus say? If you want to be a follower, if you're going to follow me, you have to do what? Die to yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Jesus said, I bid you come and what? Die. So it's not me trying harder, it's me giving up and letting him live his life through me. That's the authentic Christian life. So the bottom line is that we need to get in step with the Spirit. We need to stop living out the flesh and trying to pull up our bootstraps and just do it better. We've got to surrender and get in step with the Holy Spirit. We've all heard the, the acrostic, right? That famous acrostic, WWJD. And what would Jesus do? And many people have tried to live their lives based on that. What would Jesus do? Well, let me try and figure out what would Jesus do in this situation. Here's the thing. You and I don't know exactly what Jesus would do. If Jesus was here today, we don't know exactly what he'd do. You read through the Gospels, he encounters similar situations and he does things differently. Even though he heals blind people, it's different every time. I have no idea precisely what Jesus would do. Instead of WWJD standing for what would Jesus do, why don't we make it stand for walk with Jesus daily? When we walk with Jesus daily, when His Spirit is working us and it's His life flowing through us, what we do is what Jesus is doing in our life. We have to wonder, what would Jesus do? This is what Jesus is doing, because He's doing it through me. Because I'm letting His life flow through me. And I'm walking in obedience to what He's revealed in His Word, the truths that are there, under His Spirit's power. And the things that begin to flow out of my life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, these things are the things that Jesus does through a life that's yielded to him. You may be familiar with the poem by Robert Frost, The Road Not Taken. I won't read the whole thing, but he starts out by saying, two roads diverged in a wood, in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. And, and he goes on to talk about this. There's two paths, and he's not sure which to take. Finally, he decides to take the one less traveled by. And here's how he ends it. He says, I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that 
has made all the difference. This road of walking in the Spirit is the road less traveled by even within the church. But it will make all of the difference in your life and mine. And one day, not if, but one day, when we stand before the God of the universe and everything else is stripped away, and he looks at our life and he says, okay, what's the evidence? Well, you, you know, Jesus, you, you know... Certainly, you know how hard it was for me. You know all the things I had to overcome. You know the, the people I had to deal with. You know what those people at Cornerstone are like? Man, they're really a pain. What about, you know, you saw the family that I had to deal with. You saw the things I had to overcome in my life. You saw the addictions that I had to, had to work through. You saw this and you saw that. And you saw, certainly you couldn't have expected it. And he's going to say, I gave you my spirit. My life in you. And I was going to produce these things if you just let me. I didn't ask you to try harder. I asked you to yield your life. I want to stand before him one day and hear him say, well done. Good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. I want to be able to receive the crowns that come because my life produced um, the gold and the silver and the precious stones. And I want to be able to receive as much crowns as I can so that I can turn around and lay them at the feet of my King and my Savior and say, this is all for you. It's only, only through the Holy Spirit that we can do that. Gracious Father, first of all, I pray for that person who may be sitting there saying, I, I want that, but I don't know what that's all about. I don't know how to have a relationship with God. I've heard and, and, and know that, that Jesus died on a cross, and, but I don't understand this. God, I pray for that person that they would understand that you've done all the work. They don't have to know all the intricacies of what, what that means from a theological standpoint. All they need to know is that your love propelled him to come and offer his life in their place. And his death was sufficient. And if they will accept that offer on their behalf, if they will put their trust in him and what he did, they can be forgiven and saved from all sin. Begin a relationship with you, Lord. So I pray for that person. And if they need more instruction, that they would seek someone out that they could talk to about this, that could show them in God's Word these things are true. And God, I pray for those of us who already have come to that place in our life where we've put our trust in Jesus and yet, yet we've, we've been trying so hard in our own strength. We've believed that if we just
put the right parameters into our life, if we just get the right things on the outside right, then we're good to go. And, and God, it is what's going on inside of us, and you have given us the life of the Spirit in us. We yield. God, thank you for showing us what is produced both by the flesh and by the Spirit so that we can properly evaluate our own life and see where we are, see what the evidence produces. So that we can understand where we are and continue to walk in the power of your Spirit moving forward. Thank you for the opportunity to look at your word today. Use it in our lives. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.